0: You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. This is 80's Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. I told you before, I didn't want you to read this crap. I never saw such rotten crap in my life. Where do you get this shit? From the awesome to you. podcast network, talking to you, duh. You, man. You <laughs> <laughs> welcome everybody to our prequel for a Halloween Horror Month beginning next week officially. But this is just a little snippet to, to tide over you horror hounds as we talk about creep show here on Eighties Revisited. I'm your host Trey Harris. With me, as always, my own little creeper, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Although he doesn't usually stand outside my window after my dad beats me and throws away my comic books, except for that one time. Well, let's we don't speak of that. <laughs> yeah. But welcome back, everybody. Creep Show, the first one released November 12th, 1982. IMDb gives it a 6.9. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 69% critics, also 69% audiences. A lot of 6'9s across the board, which is strange because oh, yeah. <laughs> 69, dudes! <laughs> but uh, it's really weird because we're recording this on September 21st. Which happens to be, this year, 2016, Stephen King's 69th birthday. Oh, snap. Nee, 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 so happy birthday to the Horror Meister, and also the subject of last year's Halloween Horror Month. Uh, and of course, this is sort of a tie into that, because uh, of course Stephen King wrote Creepshow. Uh, but anyway... Budget was estimated at 8 million. Opened at 5.8. Domestically went on to gross 21 million. No info on worldwide or rentals, but I know it made a lot on rentals because I would frequently see it checked out at a local video store. Because I'd always peruse the horror section, and the cover of Creepshow one and two always like I oh, was like, "Oh, these covers are so cool." Uh, mm-hmm. Which, hop on IMDb, you can see them. It's like that you know, old school 80s style artwork, uh, painting artwork. At the uh, I think the first. Part one, he's at the ticket booth, and part two, he's like in the theater. Really cool artwork. Really cool. Be cool to have, like, you know, if I had like a, if I was a horror collector, these would be like movie posters that I'd want. uh, Being a collector, if I was a collector, I should say. But anyway, directed by the great George Romero, who makes his '80s revisited debut here with Creepshow. Of course, Night, Day, Dawn, Land, Diary, and Survival. All of the Dead. Uh, The original Crazies in 1973, and he and King would team up again for the Dark Half later on in the '80s. But this is the, the first meeting of them or collaboration between them, I should say, uh, as I mentioned written, written by Stephen King two hundred and twenty plus credits on IMDB so you know what he's done uh, Pet cemetery Cujo it all the mm, excuse me staples of horror mm, excuse me both literary and filmically in the 80s 70s and even up till today on, and especially now on television uh, especially in the 90s too with uh, Tommy Knocker's it uh, I know I'm missing another one. Langoliers, all those mini, Stephen King miniseries were so big for a while there uh, in the 90s. And rightfully so, because he's still a great storyteller. And of course, the upcoming Dark Tower series finally hitting a screen, first the big screen, and then they confirmed today for his birthday that the Dark Tower will also be a TV series that they're shopping around from the production company that did uh, House Cards. So, mm-hmm. most likely going to up on Netflix or Amazon or somewhere. Uh, so we'll have a series, which Idris Elba has, or Idris Elba, however you pronounce his first name, has already signed on. He will be in the television show. But if you read the books, you'll you know what that means for some of the other characters that might show up in the movie. Uh, I can't speak for certain because I've only read the first three books. But the cool news for me is that the TV show is going to focus on the fourth book, which is the prequel. So, good enough for me. Uh, but starring an uh, all-star cast here in Creepshow. And if you haven't seen it, just uh, keep in mind it's an anthology-type movie, much like uh, there was kind of a blitz on those films in the 80s uh, with yeah Tales from the Dark Side, Creepshow 1, Creepshow 2, I'm Missing One. Twilight Zone, the movie, was another one. Uh, yeah, that yeah, was the other one I was thinking of. You know, which, uh, And we've had Trick or Treat, Trick R Treat, recently. Uh, I say recently, but it's been several years. But that was kind of a more modern version of the same kind of formula, which I enjoy these types of movies, uh, the anthology type. Uh, especially when they're done in a movie situ- in a movie form because then you're getting big name talent in them, you know, each of the little shorts. And of course, you know, you're looking at several 20, 15 minute segments of stories, which, uh, and especially when dealing with King, I think that's some of his best work, like the, his collections, his shorter stories, Night Shift, uh, stuff out of there, which they then adapt a 20 page story into a hundred and, uh, 90-minute movie with Lawnmower Man and totally do something completely different from what the story's about. Mm. But nevertheless, that's a topic for another time. Mm. But anyway, as I mentioned, starring Hal Holbrook uh, as Henry uh, from the Crate segment. Uh, most recently, I think he, uh, most people might rec- or know him from, he was in Into the Wild, where he got his, I'm not sure, if it was his first Oscar nom, but he I think was nominated for Best Supporting for that. Uh, he was also in The Fog, John Carpenter's The Fog, also starring Adrienne Barbeau, who was his wife in this film, uh, she's a veteran of the podcast, but she was Wilma in Creep Show. But uh, she was previously on the podcast, or mentioned on the podcast, I should say, in Escape from New York and Swamp Thing. And like I mentioned, she was also in The Fog along with Hal Holbrook. And she was still married to John Carpenter at this time when she filmed this uh, and The Fog as well. Uh, and the late, great, always missed Leslie Nielsen as Richard. Uh, of course, Naked Gun, Poseidon Adventure, numerous parodies of everything from the spy genre to the horror genre. Gone, but never forgotten. Still miss him every time I watch Naked Gun. I'm like God, he's gone. Mm. It, it's a bummer because, uh, of course, he always, the thing about Leslie Nielsen is he always looked as he did. Like to our entire life. growing up in the '80s, like I mean, he looked like that in Airplane. Like he did yeah. the day he died. Like he always had. I guess I'm not sure how what he was in the '80s. Uh, he died in '84. He was in his '50s, but always had that head, head of gray hair. Always looked like that. Even in the Poseidon of if I remember correctly, he had like the gray kind of coming up there. So he always looked the same. So he always seemed old, kind of like Sean Connery for you know our same age group. Like always, just seemed like an old person, uh, but still around, still kicking. Unfortunately, not for Leslie Nielsen, but his work lives on, and Naked Gun trilogy is still one of the the greatest comedy trilogy ever. Not that there's like a whole bunch to choose from, uh, but still fantastic. Naked Gun is still one of the funniest movies ever made, in my opinion. Definitely in the top five. Uh, and I would say his probably his best uh, personal opinion, of course. Uh, also starring Ted Danson as Harry. And the, the, I forget the name of the segment, but it was the same one with uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen about the tide creeping up or something like that. I think it's called The Tide Comes In. Or, or his particular one? Uh, what was it called? Something, something Tied You I over. over. I knew it had the some pun in there for The Tide. Uh, but <laughs> this was actually pre-Cheers Ted Danson. He went, Cheers wasn't even out right now. Uh, and I was listening to another podcast that was talking about Creepshow, strangely enough. They mentioned that uh, while he was filming this, he was talking to his other actors on set about how, yeah, he just auditioned for some show in a bar that's probably going to go nowhere. Of course, it went on for like 13 (laughs) seasons or whatever. One of the most greatest TV comedies ever, in my opinion. But also, he is a veteran of the podcast, starring in the Leonard Nimoy-directed Three Men and a Baby. And it was always a pleasure to talk about one of the greatest and most underappreciated actors, in my opinion, that's still working today, Ed Harris, my film father. Or my Hollywood father uh, is Hank in the first segment, uh, Father's Day. Uh, Of course, uh, The Abyss, which we covered on the podcast, The Rock, uh, and upcoming Westworld, the HBO original series starring Anthony Hopkins as well. Super looking forward to it. Love the original Westworld. And Ed Harris is playing the man in black. It's a JJ thing, isn't it? Is it? That makes me even more excited and happy. Yeah, Westworld, because I remember he was talking about it. Sweet. Um, But it's starting actually next month. Probably his production company. Bad Robot, probably, yeah. Yeah, see. yeah yep. there, it is there we go. That's a that's a seal of approval, as far as I'm concerned, to at least yeah. check out, give it its fair shake. But definitely looking forward to that. And it starts next month, perfect for, you know, yeah. October. Uh, Walking Dead also comes back, another yearly regular regularity, mm-hmm. as it's become. And another veteran of the podcast, Tom Atkins, a Stan, the dad from the uh, bookend segments of the film. Of course, uh, we talked about, uh, he, he was in Night of the Creeps, which we covered in one of our Halloween horror months as well. And that's Halloween 3. So he's like a staple of our Halloween horror months for the most mm. part. This will be his third appearance in one of them. Uh, and the great Tom Savini as the Garbage Man number two, of course, not great for his acting ability, although he was great at Sex Machine and From Dust Till Dawn, but more so for his film contribution of special effects and gore makeup. Of course, creating the makeup for Jason Voorhees in the original and uh, several other Friday the 13ths and numerous other films. He is, he is the Stephen King of practical gore effects, for the lack of a better description, I guess. Uh, very famous name. And he's actually working on the upcoming Kickstarted Friday the 13th game, which I'm looking forward to, which also should be out next month. This October is jam-packed mm. with cool things, uh, thematic things for the month of October. Super excited. And starring, as well as written by Stephen King as Jordy Verrill from the second segment, The Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill, something like that. Uh, and also, uh, the, the uh, starring Stephen King's son, whose pen name's Joe Hill, uh, who proves that bad acting does run in the family, as evidence from the opening <laughs> of the show, uh, as Billy, the, book, the kid in the bookends, the son of uh, Tom Atkins' character. But uh, Joe Hill's, like I mentioned, a writer just like his dad, and in my opinion, a very good one. Uh, I mean, Jesse, we were talking before. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Stephen King's books, but they do get wordy. Uh, you know, you have an 800-page Stephen King novel. you got a 300-page Joe Hill novel, and they're both really good. Joe Hill's, you know, his style's different, but he's got some good stories to tell. So that bad acting and good, uh, creepy, spooky, horrific stories run in the family. So that's a good trade-off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they came out pretty good on that. But anyway, two-sentence synopsis. Uh, boy's Mean Father beats him up and throws away his Creepshow comic. Five stories of Tara and Sue. That's all you pretty much need to know. But uh, the biggest impact Creepshow had on me as a kid was pretty much just, I loved the cover art. Like, I, that's the biggest thing I always remembered about this film, particularly the first one. Uh, well, actually, the, the two big things I remember, always remember were the cover art and then the fact of Ted Danson being drowned, and there's a shot where his head's underwater, and I always, like, every time I saw an aquarium as a kid, I thought about that shot for some reason. Because, and watching it now, in high definition for the first time ever, he's in an aquarium for that shot. <laughs> so... But uh, like I mentioned before, too, uh, horror anthology movies were kind of a big deal for a while there, in the '80s, uh, and rightfully so. I, I mean, I, I, I still think, as I mentioned, you know, with the recent uh, trick or treat uh, films that have come out, I think there's a couple of them. I've only seen the first one, however, but uh, it's a it's they're just fun, and you know, you get a lot of different variety. You get a lot of variety in one movie, which uh, it works it works out pretty decent for comedies as well, like the Kentucky Fried movie. I think I was in the '70s though, when it didn't work out so well with uh, what was it? Movie Forty Three, that recent one. Mm, yeah, like that was. Yeah, I, didn't I didn't, see it, I didn't, but uh, don't. <laughs> yeah, I heard to avoid it. Yeah, uh, I watched because Hugh Jackman was in it, and he was great in it. But it was, it was. was I a lot didn't of enjoy it. In this. I mean, like, uh, that's surprising how many how much talent was in the movie, and it just wasn't my kind of humor uh, for the most part. But uh, like I said, in the '80s and. Up until today, you know, you're still getting movies like this. The uh, episodic, or uh, I forgot, I used the term already, but I forgot it. But the, uh, you know, multiple stories in one movie. And this one was just great. Uh, and watching it again, because I haven't seen, I've seen the second one a lot. Because that's the one with the raft, where it had the, that was the <laughs> one that scared me as a kid when I saw that on TBS. With like the floating garbage bag in a pond, these kids are on a raft, and it's like the blob. It like But it attacks them. <laughs> pretty damn viciously and goryly my dad. add uh, so whenever I was a kid and I whenever I went swimming I, hated, I always hated going swimming in rivers A because it's just dirty water <laughs> right but also especially because especially down here exactly well especially now uh, more than usual yeah. but uh, if I ever saw a black plastic like trash bag floating in the water as a kid it terrified me because <laughs> of Creepshow 2 uh, so I'm much more familiar with Creepshow 2 I, I do tend to like after watching this one and just watching Creep Show 2 just last year uh, I do like it better than this one overall just the st- I like the stories better because they're a little more a little crazier so I guess it might not be the right word but they're just they're uh, they're just a little bit better the best ones from the both of them are in Creep Show 2 Put it to you that way Not saying these are bad but it, it, gets, a, it gets a little bit more gorier and scarier at least, more scary I should say in Creep show 2, which as a kid that's what mattered. Uh, not to say that this one's bad or, you know, less. I mean, you've got good stories here that are much more reflective of, like, King's writing in this one. Uh, You know, you you get a zombie story, a couple of zombie stories, actually, but then you get, like, more of the horrific, you know, the fact of the tide's coming in and you're buried up to your neck, Mm. and then you throw a zombie in that for good measure. Uh, You know, you got a monster creature feature one. Uh, You get the bookends with the dad and the voodoo doll, and it's just... You know, it, it, the stories are all varied, and you got the lonesome death of Jordy Vera, which most people hate, which King's acting is atrocious, but the story's still pretty good, like the overall story about how the guy touches a meteor, and it's kind of a ripoff of the blob, uh, where the guy touches the meteor and then he, gets the, uh, he starts turning into a plant, basically. So it, uh, that one, I think, is probably the most underrated in the first one, simply because Stephen King is a terrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> which, he, which we talked about last year in Halloween Horror when he, you know, when he had his cameos like in Pet Cemetery even that little brief part just like <laughs> just have him like in the background reading a book even or something right. you know, just throw him like do a Hitchcock cameo he doesn't have to like have a speaking role <laughs> but uh, nevertheless uh, it was still fun to watch it especially not having seen this one or not being as familiar with part one as I am with two as I mentioned so it was a lot of fun just watching it and seeing Ed Harris with a full head of hair mm. was kind of weird uh and you know the cast is good enough to where it's enjoyable even if it's not quite as scary or spooky as I think the second one is more so than this one uh but it's it's well done well i mean like i mentioned you know you got ed harris Leslie Nielsen Hal Holbrook uh, Ted Danson Tom Atkins you got some really good actors in there to offset you know the king boys father and son duo in it but uh it's it's definitely worth if you haven't seen it it's definitely a great one to watch for halloween uh, for the month of October, if you're like me and already got my Plex server set up, I got enough horror movies to where I can watch two a day if needed. So I can watch whatever horror movie I want for the most part, whatever I'm feeling like for the night to just pop on and watch. Mm. Uh, so this is, but this is a definite good uh, one to throw in there. And you know, add this, add Creepshow 2, add Twilight Zone, add Tales from the Dark Side. You know, they're all. It's those are all really fun and good ones, especially you know the and. The uh was it the I think the Twilight Zone one was the one where the uh the actual one or was it Tales for the Dark Side? I don't remember. One of them was the one where the actual the one that uh John Landis did the segment in to where the actual people died in while filming it. Wow. I don't remember which one it is. But uh so that one's especially creepy to watch if you know the backstory. We're looking at 'em now just so I can tell y'all the right thing if y'all are looking for it. Twilight Zone the movie, that was the one. In the first segment, that uh, we haven't covered it on the podcast, but that came out a year after Creep Show because Creep Show was a success. Eight million dollar budget made twenty, you know, uh, two and a half times its budget practically. So that's why you kind of saw multiple uh, anthology. That was the word I was looking for earlier. Uh, films come out around the same time, but yeah, uh, you know, if you want to, eventually we'll, co- we'll probably cover it out on a Halloween horror month. You know, we can had a thought about it. I could actually have saved Creep Show and done next year, done nothing but anthology movies. More bang for our buck, but nah, I was kind of screwed it up. So I think something else. Mm. But anyway, uh, I had where I wanted to go, and I totally lost it talking about <laughs> thinking about the other thing. But anyway, uh, overall, like Creepshow, uh, it's well done. I mean, you got Stephen King riding, you got George Romero directing, which he did. You know, in terms of directing, he I don't really care for his style, but he's made some of the most important horror films ever, Night and Dawn, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, and he rode that train even till, you know just recently with I think Survival of the Dead was the last one he did. Uh, so he had good stories to tell, especially with the original, the original Black and White Night of the Living Dead. And of course, Dawn of the Dead is usually considered everybody's favorite uh, for the most part because it's it's like his horror movies are at least Night and Dawn, I should say. And I guess they could be thrown there too they're they're smart enough to where they're like good science fiction to where they're relevant to modern issues, but in a futuristic setting, whereas night and then dawn are, you know, racism and consumerism, uh, themes that run in both of them, but in a horrific environment where zombies, you know, hate oh yeah, it's just a metaphor for Bob. But in that in this case it kinda is, uh, with a lot of Marrero's work, which made him, you know, an icon in the horror world. Uh, well deserved. And uh, oh, that's what I was going to talk about. One, the one thing I love, absolutely love about Creepshow 1 and 2 is how the bookend stories, at least in the first one, I'm, I can't remember, the, I think it's similar in the second one. It's, I, I, get them, I always get them confused anyway, except for the Raft story, because I know that's in Creepshow 2, because that's the one I watch more often. But uh, how they're bookended and take place, like you're looking, you're, the stories are the stories that the kid was reading in the comic book. And that translates to the directing and editing. Uh I know you haven't seen it, Jesse. But I know people are like usually like to ask Jesse what he's seen, but I knew we already he already <laughs> hadn't seen it, so I didn't go that route like we normally do. But uh excuse me, when we we're watching that little brief part. I don't know if you noticed some of the editing it had like where the scenes were in comic book panels, but you'd be focused yeah. on one and yeah. it moved, which awesome choice. And mm-hmm. it fits uh you know, it, it, that's a that's a good director, make, uh, that's a good directing choice, I think, especially for the way this is presented, how they throw the comic away, turns into a cartoon and then you, uh, for the intro and then you kind of, that's when it shows you, okay, now we're going through, Creepshow is the stories in this comic book that the kid was reading, and then of course it's bookend, bookended, typically for these type of movies with the real horror, just like I think Tales for the Dark Side did with, uh, Deborah Harry and the little boy that she was gonna cook, uh, you know, they they tend to do that, uh, Twilight Zone, I remember, I know it has a, a prequel story with Dan Aykroyd, yeah, it does bookend, yeah, so, uh most they tend to do that and that that's, you know, you have the stories of horror but then you have the real horror from the bookends. But, uh and I love in Creepshow how like, when the horror, like something scary does happen, they'll have like the, for the lack of a better example, like the Batman 66 backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Like, like when they're screaming, like, ah, mm. it has like the twirly thing in the background. That's not what they're standing behind. But it gives it that very comic, especially 50s horror comic vibe. Yeah. Which is what they were going for. In fact, uh, we're into the trivia now, uh, so I hit pause on this statement just so i don't read it twice like I'm prone to do sometimes I want to get mm. excited and start talking about stuff but uh this may, this cracked me up, especially watching it this time, knowing that Leslie Nelson was doing this, but uh when they were shooting the actual scene, you know he was all business professional did his job because it's a serious role for him mm-hmm. I mean he's kind of a I mean, he's a villain, but he's not, you know, he's not Frank Drebin. Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, think of Leslie Nielsen as being more like, hey, oh well, yeah, you know, doing a pun of something silly or something. But he's very serious in this role. However, he kept a fart machine in his pocket during shooting. So he would let it go off during rehearsals and just before uh, George Romero would call action, which caused everybody to just bust out laughing, which I wish there was like deleted scenes of him doing that, which there might be. I don't know. Uh, I do believe they just released a recent Blu-ray maybe in the past couple years of this film, so maybe there is some great deleted stuff on there. I don't know, but how fun would that, how hilarious would that be for Leslie Nielsen, you know, right before doing an incredibly serious scene is popping off fart machine noises. (laughs) Good old Leslie Nielsen. Uh, During a break in filming, uh, Stephen King took his son to a McDonald's, and as a joke, uh, his his son Joe was made up with bruises, cuts, and scabs. Well, funny joke, haha! the girl at the drive-thru called the police when she saw him in his farmer outfit with his son beat up or what appeared to be beat up. So uh, that's all. I don't know what happened after that. Obviously, he probably explained it. Yeah, these are just fake, blah, blah, blah. So. Uh, this is, I thought this was pretty interesting because I don't know any Gaelic mythology, but uh, why does Aunt Bedelia's father come t- to life after seven years in the first story, Father's Day? Not because of the lucky number, it turns out, but if you watch closely, Bedelia spills whiskey on the grave, and in Gaelic, the word for whiskey is translated as water of life, uh, which is likely a nod to James Joyce in his book Finnegan's Wake, which if you've ever Ever tried to read that book? It gives you, well, it gives me a freaking headache because it's written like it's uh, old Irish. I'm not sure the exact, you know, linguistic descriptor to give how it's written, but it's very, it's a, it's like a George R. R. Martin book, and that's like, it's a, like some people call them a heavy read. Uh, and I, it's a thick, Finnegan's Wakes fit really thick, uh, at least the copy I had. And I got like a, like 20, 30 pages into it. It's like, this is just like, I'm not, I'm not. I'm having to like look up words and very hard read. But anyway, uh, so yeah, check it out if you like hard books. Uh, but anyway, in the story, a builder laborer falls from a ladder, and breaks his skull, but is revived when someone spills whiskey on his corpse at the wake. Uh, which in turn, in turn, Finnegan Wake is written off an old Dublin Street ballad. But tying it in the creep show, she spills whiskey on the grave. And that's actually what brings the zombie to life. So next time you're at a bar and you want a whiskey, you know, you want a double whiskey, you want, you want a double water to life. You know, mm-hmm. use you, you some be cool. You know, like yeah, water life. Oh, uh, is that a water, sir? No, you plebeian. It's a whiskey. Don't you know what whiskey means in Gaelic? No, sir. I don't pay me enough. Well, it means water life. And then you you sound like a douche, but you also sound very knowledgeable, as well. So it's a thin line you got to walk when you use this knowledge. So use it at your discretion. Uh, during a fan expo at Canada, uh, in Canada, I should say, in 2015, uh, Romero said that the cockroaches were the, actually the most expensive part of the movie. And he said the cockroaches pretty much cost 50 cents a piece in 1982 money. And they used more than 25, a quarter of a million of them. A grand total of $125,000 of the budget were for roaches alone. So uh, I guess like, you know, these roaches got really good hazard pay. Or uh, got a nice paycheck. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's just, that blows my mind that... (laughs) Today I can I can yeah fifty cents for a roach okay I guess that makes sense but in 1982 where like fifty cents is like five bucks I'm not sure what how that is adjusted for inflation but fifty right. cents in 82 was a lot more than it was now that was a comic book you can buy a comic book or a roach I take the comic book uh, but this this was this explains a lot of King's bad acting but not all of it uh, he was told to play Jordy like Wile E Coyote the way he looks when he goes off of a cliff so that explains. A good bit of it. Okay, I was way off. Uh, 50 cents and 82 equals $1.46 today. That's still expensive for a roach. I could get an app or a song off iTunes for that. So still pretty pricey. But not quite as high as I was guessing it would be. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so... Uh, the one thing also about like, that segment, you know, I, li- I like how in this film, you got like, some... It's all kind of tongue-in-cheek for the most part. Uh, except maybe Leslie Nielsen's. Uh, that's That story's pretty horrific until, like, the zombies show up. Spoiler mm. alert. But, uh, you know, the Geordie Veril one is very comedic because of his performance. So it's a good, you know, if it was just... If it was, whoops, I am unplugged my headphones, but I know you can still hear me. Yep. Let me just plug that in. Because it's very disorienting when everything's muffled <laughs> and then they can't hear anything. But it happens at least once episode, right? So there it was. Uh, but anyway, uh, where was I going? Oh, it, it, I like how that one's a little more just weird. Quirky, I guess would be a better word for it, as opposed to just being, you know, kind of a thematic horror thing, as opposed to, like, watching five Tales from the Crypts back-to-back. Or actually, even with Tales from the Crypt, you had some that were really, like, you know, meant to be horrific, and then you had some that were much more silly and tongue-in-cheek. And I like how, in a movie like this, I think you need that variety of horror. Because it's one horror, it's one movie, but it's really good to have, you know, something horrific, something silly, something, you know... And going back to like the uh, '50s creature movies or something like that, you know, so you get a good variety of the genre, and I think that's one reason why I like these movies. Uh, but also, funny enough, uh, while King was on set, he carried a toy figure of Greedo for some reason uh, from Star Wars, of course, uh, on the set with him for hmm. good luck. <laughs> I don't see how that relates because Greedo kind of gets shot. <laughs> In Star Wars, he's kind of unlucky. In fact, in one of the, uh, speaking of anthologies, one of the Star Wars anthology novels, uh, Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina, I believe it was called, which they also had one, Tales from the Empire, and Tales from Jabba's Palace, which were really, if you like Star Wars lore, they're really cool because they just fill in backstories of the characters that you see in the background, which I thought was really interesting. But uh, it pretty much tells you how unlucky Greedo is in his entire life, and then he dies, you know, trying to, like, get the biggest score ever. And job Jabba the Hutt, and he gets blown away. So, uh, yeah, Greedo is basically not a character you want for luck. Uh, I'd stick with Solo on that one. <laughs> Seems like except an in choice. Force Awakens. Uh, if you also, you know, tying into the you know horror uh, genre as well, the crew for Creep Show is pretty much the same crew for Sleepaway Camp, which released right after this. And according to Jonathan Tearsen, the according to Jonathan Tiersten, I should say, the actor who played Ricky in Sleepaway Camp. So they kind of filmed Creep Show and then went on to do. Another, uh, it's, it's well-known, I guess. And, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're a student of the horror genre, you, you know what Sleepaway Camp is. You know, it's all about the ending in Sleepaway Camp, uh, which is, it is an 80s movie, but not this year. But we'll, we'll save it for down the road. Mm. Which also, I think, go back, Jesse, which one is that? And go down a little bit. The, oh, Sleepaway 2. Sleepaway Camp 2, I never, I saw that one way before I saw the first one because of the cover. It has the chick quote, quote, uh, with a backpack that has Freddy's glove and Jason's hockey mask in it. And as a kid, I was like, what is this? Jason and Freddy? What <laughs> happened? You know, like I had no clue what this film was about as a kid. I just, the cover alone, again, because in the 80s, when you go to the video store, that's what's selling you on a film, pretty much the cover. And when I saw the cover of Sleepaway Camp too, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. This has to be, I didn't know Freddy and Jason were in this film. Of course, you watch it, that's eh, not quite the case. Mm. Uh, but great, like, great way like for the time period to catch an audience or to lure people to maybe see it yeah. just because of the cover. I got you. Yep. <laughs> Not that I was the one that rented it, but I wanted to see it and found a way to see it because of the cover. Because mm. <laughs> again, I was you know, six years old trying to watch a R-rated movie with you know that movie especially. But anyway, uh, hey kids, if you're looking for some uh, cheap ways to make your Halloween costume a little gorier, use Rice Krispies as maggots because that's what they use in this film for the corpse's eyes in mm. the first story. Uh, they did use some maggots for some close-up shots, but mainly, it's Rice Krispies. Uh, so, enjoy your breakfast tomorrow mm. thinking about maggots. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Romero went on to adapt Stephen King's novel The Dark Half in 93. <clears throat> uh, that film also starred Amy Madigan, who's Ed Harris's wife. Of course, Romero and Ed Harris worked together in this movie. And then Harris went on to appear in Needful Things in 93 as well, same year as The Dark Half, uh, as a sheriff. A character which originally appeared in the in the dark half, although obviously not the same character. So it's just sort of like six degrees of Ed, or less than six degrees, uh, three degrees of George Romero and Ed Harris, starting in Creepshow and through the King verse, coming back. Uh, just interesting connections, you know. Uh, not quite Tarantino-esque in its reuse of characters, but just funny how it turns out. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Barbeau was still married to Carpenter when they were when the Creepshow was released. Carpenter, of course, uh, that we talked about last year, made the film version of Stephen King's Christine in 83. Uh, King wrote makes an appearance in Creepshow, and additionally, how Holbrook and Tom Atkins, who starred in this film, co-starred both. Actually, I forgot. Atkins was in The Fog, actually. But yeah, he was, they were both in The Fog in 80 with Adrian, which Carpenter directed. So just one big kind of, you know, they're the, it's the cool horror table in the 80s, you know, with Carpenter, Romero, King, and then throw in Ed Harris, uh, Hal Holbrook and Adrian Barbeau and Tom Atkins and you got the, the cool Stephen King table from the early 80s, which is interesting. And uh, this was really cool, I thought, a really nice touch because of what Creepshow is uh, based upon, basically. Uh, the Prop Tencent Creepshow comic book featured in the film was drawn and inked by veteran artist Jack Kamen, one of the original artists from the EC crime and horror comics of the 50s, which, if you know your comic book history, you know, those comics, uh, Tales of Horror or Vault of Horror... Tales from the Crypt; those were the ones that originally inspired the Comics Code uh, and all that. You know, before before we had explicit, you know, Tipper Gore talking to Congress about uh, you know explicit lyrics and Twisted Sister and uh, <laughs> those albums, you had these horror comics coming under fire, and then the creation of the Comics Code, which I don't I don't even think that's even relevant anymore. I'm pretty sure it's not. Probably I don't not. think I've seen that logo on a comic in years, so I'm not sure when that went out, but. And that's again, that's tying all back into what inspired Romero and King to do the anthology like this because of those comics they read when they were younger. And it you know, just works out really good. And like I mentioned before, Romero's directing and utilization of the comic aspect in the film was really nice. In fact, like, uh, one of the things I, I really like how he used it in this, as I said before, but it's also one of the things that a lot of people really hate Ang Lee's Hulk movie. But he did the same thing. He was doing a comic book movie, and this is pre Avengers, I mean, uh, pre Iron Man and all that. So, this is old school comic book movies, post X Men, but pre Avengers, I mean, pre Iron Man. Uh, Ang Lee's Hulk, he did it as a comic. He did that same kind of thing. You had the panels moving, it, had a, it, it was a really cool way to do a superhero comic book movie, which I think he was, he's the only one that's done it like that. I could be wrong, but it's the only one I can pull off the top of my head to remember. Uh, but I like that aspect. Of course, every comic book movie should not be done like that, but uh, it works out good in this film, and it worked out good for, you know, one superhero movie. Mm. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, this, is, this is interesting to us, and hopefully it will lead to an on-air interview, which I sent the guy a Facebook message to see, but get this, Jesse, the world's largest collection of original Creepshow memorabilia belongs to the Creepshow Museum and is located on Facebook and in Louisiana. Oh. Our home state is home to the world's largest collection of original creepshow memorabilia. So I sent them a Facebook thing like, "Hey, we do a local podcast here in Baton Rouge, you know." Is it wanna... in Baton Rouge? I, I'm waiting to hear back from them. I don't. The Facebook page doesn't say like where exactly, and it... I just know it's in Louisiana somewhere. So it could be frickin' Monroe or wherever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so a good tie-in, and hopefully before Halloween Horror Month's over, we might have a little on-air interview with the uh, the curator of the world's largest collection of original creepshow memorabilia. Uh, But look him up on Facebook if you want to see. I'm not sure if it's just one guy's obsessive collecting led to this, but that's something I'm trying to find out for you, our listeners. An exclusive interview, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. (coughs) They might be like, yeah, freak, whatever. I'm not going to do your stupid show. (laughs) But joke's on him. It's not stupid. (laughs) I guess. But anyway, uh, I don't know if I didn't notice this until I watched it this time. But the marble ashtray, which plays a major role in the first story as to what uh, Bedelia beat the dad with to kill him, but that same ashtray is actually featured in all five, shows up in all five of the stories somewhere. Uh, let's see, in The Loadsome Death of Jordi Vero, it's next to the cash box of the Department of Meteors. In Something Tied You Over, it's on the nightstand next to Richard's bed, which I noticed that one as I was watching it. In The Crate, it's on the writing desk when Henry writes his letter to Wilma. In uh, the last one or last story, they're creeping up on you. The soap dish when Upson Pratt is washing his hands—that's the roach story. And finally, in the wraparound story, it's on Billy's desk when he first starts stabbing the voodoo doll. So that ashtray is in all the stories and is a visual tie-in as well, which is pretty interesting. Because I didn't notice that until actually watching it this time. So pretty cool. Uh, overall, overall for a score, I give it a seven point five. Uh, personal, it's 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 well done. There's nothing. I really have nothing bad to say about it because everything, you know, you might say oh the effects some of the effects are kind of uh hit or miss on some of them. Well, to me it just sort of fits that 50s comic vibe that this is paying uh homage to. Uh so for me, you know, like I said it's I like 2 a little bit better, not much, you know. Uh we'll save my score for 2 from when we actually cover that on the podcast, but uh it's it's definitely worth watching both 1 and 2. Uh, give them a watch. You can't really go wrong. It's, it's. I mean, and, and this is vintage. This is a meeting of the minds in terms of horror, much like we talked about last year with Christine, how it's John Carpenter directing a Stephen King, or ad- ad- eh, adapting a Stephen King work for a movie. Hell yeah, sign me up. You know, that's horror royalty. And you got the same thing here with Romero and Stephen King. So really, really worth, uh, worth your time to watch, especially, you know, we're, this is the prequel to Halloween Horror Month, we're about to get into the that our, the most wonderful time of the year despite what that stupid Christmas song's about. Mm. It's actually talking about Halloween, he just, by the time he wrote it, it was Christmas time, so we, to make money, had to tie it in mm. to Christmas instead of Halloween. You know, everybody knows that story. But yeah, uh, In the Real World, November again, Creepshow released November 12th, 1982, uh, the day after uh, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial is dedicated in D.C. after a march to its site by thousands of Vietnam War veterans, whom uh, we're losing more and more of those each day. We're almost out, so to sp- I hate to use that verbiage, but we're almost out of World War II veterans and mm-hmm. Korean War veterans. Uh, you know, Vietnam's gonna be the next lost group of soldiers that are lost. Uh, you know, unfortunately, as time, you know, it makes this the next and never inevitable trip through people's lives. Uh, but if you've ever been to the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., that was one, to me, that was one of the most beautiful memorials. Just, you got the wall, uh, you know, which, the size of it's massive, and, you know, the names are tiny on it, and it's just, you know, it's just really kind of a solemn... Oh, hello, Brittany. Jesse's just... Wait a second. The Looking Brittany Spears museums. Museum in Kentwood, Louisiana? <laughs> no thanks. I'll skip that one. Yeah, You know, that one's close. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, and then they have, like, kind of a... I'm not sure. It's part of the Vietnam Memorial, but it's, like, these bronze soldiers, like, walking through these shrubberies. Uh, really, really cool life-size, like they're on patrol, really just tastefully done, beautiful. All of all the memorials in Washington, D.C. are just really, really beautiful, despite that you're in one of the most corrupt and disgusting political climates in the history of any government. Uh, I'm now on some NSA list for saying that, so Snowden, I might need to hit you up for some travel tips, bro. Uh, but anyway, also, strangely enough, I think this is only the second or third time in history 80s were visited. We had a notable birthday on the same day that one of our films was released. We always had like hit, hit near misses, but uh, Oscar winner Anne Hathaway was born on November 12th, 1982. The same day Creepshow came out. Maybe her mom was in the theater watching it, and all of a sudden that creature pops out in the crate and <laughs> out pops Anne Hathaway. We'll never know the truth. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so that's a kind of a first, I guess. <laughs> I, th- I think it's the first time at least that we had an exa- it, 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 uh, exact date. A precise date, I should say. We've had accurate dates, but this was the first precise one. Uh, back to the future this week. Uh, I was hoping to see the new Blair Witch before it recorded, but just been busy. Because uh, uh, I'm interested in it. The second one sucked, but the new one... Because strangely enough, I was talking to my friend who gives me free passes to go to movies, which is why I go to so many movies, thankfully. Uh, and it was, it was before they revealed it was Blair Witch and it was called The Woods. And he had the poster <coughs> up in the lobby and we were talking like, dude, that's like... What have you heard anything about that movie? I've not heard anything about. It It looks like some sort of Blair Witch knockoff. Yeah, come to find out, it is a Blair Witch movie. <laughs> uh, but it's, I've seen from certain horror sites that I follow on Facebook, it's gotten some pretty good reviews. But as we like to encourage on this podcast, watch it. We need to. Wa- I need to watch it myself for my own opinion, and then tell you what I think. And then which y'all need to disregard, and then go watch it anyway if you want to see it and not pay attention to what I say. But uh, anyway, but I did get to watch though la- this pa- the past few days. Uh, well, I've been wanting to get Chappie on Blu-ray because I absolutely love that film. And as I was looking at it on Amazon, I could pay 19.95 and get Chappie on Blu-ray, or I could pay 14.95 and get the Blomkamp Trilogy, District 9, Elysium, Chappie, all on Blu-ray with a little, you know, nice package deal. I was like, fuck yeah, I'll get that. <laughs> so anyway, got that in and uh, basically, you know, did a movie, mini-marathon of, you know, Blomkamp's films. Of course, starting with District 9, which is still still like, all of his films are so amazing. Uh, I personally think he's probably the best working director out there right now in terms of sheer visual style and quality. Uh, he's he reminds me a lot of early '80s Ridley Scott in terms mm. of just putting a like he and him and him and Nicholas Winding Refn both have that are both current directors that have that ability to take you to a place that you believe exists in their films and Blomkamp I mean he's only done sci-fi which is fantastic because that's my genre de plume so to speak Mm -hmm. Uh, but I mean District 9 a Best Picture nominee Uh, Peter Jackson produced it still like still a great great film still holds up Uh, Elysium I think is just like much like Chappie is just extremely underrated great story I mean Elysium does have some problems in just terms of like you kind of have to take some things for granted in the characters But to me, it doesn't detract from a. The film looks beautiful, Mm. just like District Nine and all of his stuff. It has that look to it. It has that science fiction look that I love. And the fact that he's working on an alien project, it just makes me wet in the pants. (laughs) Because yes, he you know, and honestly, like you know, unfortunately Jared Leto's in Blade Runner Two, so my erection for that's gone down quite a bit. Wow. Uh, And I wish he uh, Blomkamp was working on Blade Runner Two instead of Ridley Scott. Just imagine what he. Because honestly, when you're when you're, I take it back. When you're watching Blomkamp's films, it's uh, one of my favorite game series is the Deus Ex series, which the new one just came out. Finished it, not as good as Human Revolution, but it's still really really good. Very short, Uh, but I think they're really kind of hoeing out with the season pass to kind of wrap up the story in that. That's tough for another time, but (laughs) Blomkamp has that. You know, there's always like robotics in his films. Uh, you know, and, they, and, and like, like I mentioned, you know, good horror in terms of Romero's work, Blomkamp does the same thing. District nine is about racism. Uh, Elysium is a you know, rich verse, you know, haves and have nots. Uh, Chappie, I think has a lot of different themes in it. Everything from, you know, nurture, nature and nurture to just the nature of consciousness, even, you know, deep, interesting themes. And that, that is good science fiction. Uh, I, you can say I'm a total fanboy for him, but he, I think his work speaks for itself. Uh, I think last year, year before, when Chabert came out, he was one of my favorite films of the year, and I actually liked it more watching it this time because the first time I watched it, I didn't know who the hell Diantward <coughs> or were, so right. I was completely annoyed and turned off by him. <laughs> but now that I now that I know a little bit more, and I know that that's actually how they act, yeah. I didn't mind their performances watching it this time. Hmm. They didn't they didn't annoy me as the first time. I'm like, who are these? Like, why aren't there better actors in these positions? Which Honestly, that still hurt the film because, you know, at least when you have Matt Damon, uh, which, fun fact, he wanted Ninja from The Ant to be in that film, which thank goodness he didn't because that film depended on the lead character. Whereas, of course, in Chappie, you got Charlto Copley, who should have gotten an Oscar nomination for that role, uh, I think, because that's phenomenal, because you know, he's playing a robot with the mind of a child, mm. and he does phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. And he did all the motion capture. You know, uh, so he's kind of carrying that and you know, Deantwoord are more of supporting characters. In it. And you got Hugh Jackman as a villain? Yes, please. And you throw in Sigourney Weaver for good measure? It's, it's great. But I think the biggest thing that hurt uh, Chappie was that those two heavy major supporting characters should have been real actors. And mm-hmm. you know, there are some musicians that can act, but I mean, you're a musician. Uh, and I, well, let me say this. I do believe that if you're a musician, and you transition to acting. I think that's more of a natural progression for some musicians, in some sense. Like David Bowie, for example, uh, I think hes a, I think he was a great actor, not just because you know *Labyrinth*, but I mean, look at him in *Twin Peaks*. Firewall, you know, just anything that he's done as an actor or the prestige, even. I think he did—you know, he he could handle that. He had that duality to his creativity to maybe understand acting. But then you look at Ice Cube, yo man, like you hear yourself in every movie. Just you're, which some actors are like that too. That's not necessarily a diss. Uh but then I think, you know, musician, but then I, well, with the current Corey Feldman fiasco, which lay off the motherfucker. <laughs> Ascension Millennium is still a great track. Uh, oh, my and it, gosh. Well, the thing is that blows my mind about that, you know, respect, Corey, if you ever want to come on a podcast and talk about it, you are always welcome, as long as you give us the rights to use any of your music for bumper music. <laughs> but uh, but the, the double standard for that, and he's right, like, talking about how, like, he's getting, like, blasted about it. I mean, but... If if Justin Timberlake came in and did those same moves and that same song, this nobody would pretty care. Terrible, though. Oh, the cover's totally like <laughs> no limit studios bad Photoshop. Like That is really bad Photoshop there. I can make that in two seconds. Uh huh. In fact, Autumn can make that in two seconds. <laughs> so I can't give him give him a pass on that. But if if JT was doing this or Drake or whoever, same song doing the same moves, I don't think it would it wouldn't even it wouldn't be it wouldn't have blown up and become the degree of social bullying that it, it, that's honestly what it is I mean I, feel, I really feel sorry for him and you know like I mean I'm a fan of Essential Millennium I've admitted my addiction on this show <laughs> Jesse has seen it in action when I pull up to his house and he heard it blaring through my uh, through my car as I pulled up <laughs> guilty pleasure that's fine man but I mean lay off the dude he's out I mean, but what I was getting at is simply that its I think it's harder for, for actors to become musicians its I think it's pretty rare now you got Jeff Bridges he's a his music's great. Yeah. And he, he, you know, he's writing and, and playing his own instruments and everything. You know, he's he's he, he's, he is a multi-talented individual. Uh, I'm trying to think of other people. Uh, Gary Busey, even with the Buddy Holly story, he learned to play and sing, and he did great in the film. Like I think that's an actor going into music. That that was for a role more so, though. I mean, Jeff Bridges has like albums released and stuff. Uh, Keanu Reeves has a band, but he's more so a musician. Uh, Johnny Depp has a band, but he, again, I mean, I say musician, but, uh, as in, he plays an instrument, he's not singing. Uh, you know, so a lot of actors have bands, but, they, uh, Jared Leto, I hate to use as an example, yeah. which he should, he, he should stick to music because I don't think he's that good of an actor. Again, my opinion a I mean, total yeah, a of total personal bias, bias. Well, these people, they're mentioning, I mean, Tom Waits, Oh, is. yeah, that's what I was to say. Like, he's a good actor. Like, he does, like, Mystery Men, uh... He was in something else like he's in, he's been in several things where his character was great uh jt justin timberlake's not, you know he gets a lot of flack for some of his films but he was he was pretty good in alpha dog i mean you know it's he's one of those characters where it's some musicians when you see him it's hard to separate like you're just like oh there's ice cube or oh there's ice tea yeah uh i'm just trying to, i'm just trying to think of actors on top of my head i'm not trying to pick on the ice <laughs> people uh you know what i'm saying you're But anti-ice uh, yeah like Haley Stenfield, Stenfield the, the chick from uh, True Grit, she, like, had, she tried to become a pop star a few months ago. Yeah. Didn't quite work. Uh, but in, you know, just to sum that up, I mean, again, I, I really do think that it's easier to go from acting into music. I think that's a more natural transition. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, it, I think musicians transition well to acting more so than actors transition well to music. Uh, I think that's for the most part uh, That's so funny Jada Pinkett smith You're looking at this list But she has a metal band <laughs> And it's 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 not Good or great But it's not like As bad as you think It would be uh, When in fact When I was working At Shadow Broadcasting With Jason He told me about it And like we listened to it And I was like That's not too bad <laughs> At least the track We listened to I don't know how many Songs she Albums they have Or whatever But uh, this is years And years ago But anyway Yeah I don't know What it sounds like today <laughs> Let's uh, see from Oh, six, oh wow, yeah, I'm bad with dates. It's a long time ago. All right, our next are making their first appearance on our show tonight. Exciting new rock band. Uh, they'll be performing in Tempe, Arizona, on May 19th. Oh, big city, Tempe, Arizona, C C big CD. venue. Please welcome, Wicked Wisdom. Sheena back then? I'm pretty sure. I want to say it's She's a singer, as far as I'm, as far as I remember. Again, not a fan. I just know this from. Wow. Yeah, she is. Funny you didn't even mention it. <laughs> oh, by the way, it's not, again, you, this isn't—I've heard worse for sure. You know, so, but it's still funny that Jada Pinkett Smith is in a metal band. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I this before somebody saying that's not metal, like you know, metal. Right, right. right. It's I mean, it's TV metal. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it's radio-friendly metal. Yeah, pop metal even, uh, in that sense. But yeah. Anyway, uh, bottom line is, uh, mm. as far as this Back to the Future segment, Neil Blomkamp <laughs> is the best. Is probably my favorite director working right now. He needs to do more stuff. He could anything that he's attached to. I'm there day one, period. And I'm, I'm. I just hope this Alien project. I keep hearing like reports like stump, you know, th- oh, well, production halted or it's getting delayed or blah blah blah. So, uh, excuse me. I'm just. I'm hoping this comes to fruition because he needs, like, he's the one that can do this for a franchise. Like, I hated Star Trek Beyond. I know a lot of people, that's kind of, some people are loving it, some people are hating it. You know, throw Blom excuse me, sorry guys, uh, throw a camp <laughs> on a Star Trek. You know, let him direct one of the Star Wars spin-offs. You know, something like a droid-based movie or something like with uh, IG-88 or, you know, something like that. Four or Zuckus. If you know your Star Wars characters, you know what I'm talking about. You know, like, he would be perfect for something like that. And, Especially if he's writing it as well, because he's, he's, he's the whole package in, that, in terms of that. I mean, he's writing these things. And again, remember, the key to good sci-fi is taking modern issues, but they take but you're seeing them in a futuristic setting with a lot of metaphor or some symbolism. The symbolism there, to quote Willem Dafoe. Uh knows? Thanks. Anyway, uh, and he hmm. does that. I mean, his film library isn't deep. I mean, he basically has a trilogy, but I mean... Damn! What a amazing trilogy that he has, in my opinion. And just he has he has an eye, and that's what that's the first thing that like, you know, I would like a science fiction movie if it's if it looks pretty. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, the Wachowskis later works. Jupiter Ascending, terrible, terrible <laughs> movie, but it's pretty. Uh, Speed Racer, pretty. Matrix, pretty. And I mean, say what you will about the, how, where that series went. I'm a fan of the Matrix, all three of them. Uh, stuff like that you know so I can appreciate uh, for example I mentioned last time uh, how I recently revisited all the Terminator films except Genesis because I'll never watch that again I couldn't even get through it again Uh, but anyway uh, you know Mick G like you know uh, going from Charlie's Angels to doing you know a revered science fiction franchise he had a good eye for it he had a good vision like his like say what you will about salvation I bought it as a a future. that was the future with the Terminators uh, not so much Jonathan Mostow in Terminator Three, like you know, it, it, that's the diff- That's the, the lack of Cameron in that, which we talked about last week. But yeah, like I am so pumped for whatever he does next. And I, again, I every night I thank the Lord for my beautiful wife Autumn and that <laughs> Neil Blomkamp, Alien Five or Alien Reboot, if you even call it, because I think the the awesome thing about his reboot is that it's disregarding three and four, mm. so it takes place after Aliens. That's why we're gonna supposed to have Michael Bain back and Sigourney back and all this stuff like. But, hey, they're getting old. Yeah. But, but, not the, but uh, Sigourney's in Chappie, and she looks like she's ready to kick alien ass still. So, so I, have no, I have faith in that, that we'll get it. But uh, anyway, as normal, you can reach us uh, at 80svisit at gmail.com, at Awesome Pods on Facebook, on Twitter, um, on .com, all that fun stuff. Uh, And I do get, a, as usual, our good friend Down Under, uh, Ben, the Tasmanian Devil Wyatt. Hope you don't mind me calling you that, Ben. I just like saying it. Uh, Sent us another email uh, after our last episode, so let me get right on to that. Uh, Ben says, Hello, gentlemen. So much to cover, so hopefully I don't forget anything. Uh, I've just finished watching Transformers for the first time, the animated movie, everybody, just to make sure we're all on the same page here. And I thought it was fine enough. Three out of five stars in his book. Uh, It was on Daily Motion, so if any other listeners haven't (coughs) seen it, then you have no excuse not to now, coming straight from Ben's mouth, you have no excuse if you haven't seen it. There's a way to watch it. Uh, he never saw the cartoon- or I'm sorry, I never saw the cartoons as a kid, so my only experience with the franchise was Beast Wars, which I loved and had a lot of the toys uh, I just just watched the Beast Wars intro while riding this and holy crap, that looks terrible. <laughs> it does but Beast Wars like for like me and my brother like that was the one cartoon that you know came out kind of when I was older, but while he was still you know which is five year five and a half year difference from me and my brother so it was to where he was like really hyped about it and loved it, but and then he would watch it, so I would watch it. But we both really liked it, mm. and it would always come on before school. Like uh, it would come on like six thirty a.m. here, at one of the local stations, like Fox, yeah, something I like that. that. And we we would always watch Beast Wars, and we knew mm. when Beast Wars was over, time to get to school. Yep. So it was like our morning ritual. So I totally agree on Beast Wars, but I've seen like I've looked it up recently, especially watching Transformers last week, and yeah, it, it does not <laughs> hold up. <laughs> it's that reboot, that, like the cartoon reboot, that yeah, same kind of like cutting edge at the time but it, you don't, you, it hurts your eyes to watch now. But anyway, he also says, also we've seen the first two Michael Bay films and yes, they are terrible but fun fact guys, Rachel Taylor, the Australian chick in Transformers 1, was born and raised in his hometown town of, I hope I don't totally mispronounce this or give the right inflection, Ben, but Launceton. Uh our, our only other Hollywood export is Simon Baker from The Guardian and The Mentalist. I know he is offhand because... Uh, He's been in some other stuff, too. He's been in some... <laughs> from watching the intro to these Wars. Yeah. It just makes me laugh. Optimus Primal. <laughs> yeah, that, that shot It's still me. a great show, though. I mean, Kent... <laughs> that shot... <me. laughs> oh, man. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway... Anyway, hypo- uh, also, my recommendation, Ben, you've seen the first two. You've seen the worst. Uh, the third one, to me, was the best. Not that that's saying a lot, but uh, part three, I think, Dark... Was it Dark of the Moon or some weird subtitle? But that one has the most like action in it, and it's mainly the Transformers fighting. So uh, that's to me is the one not to miss. Whereas the second one to me is like the one to just totally avoid. Mm-hmm. So I recommend if, if you're bored, give it a shot. Uh, they are I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that the third one's the least bad, and that's the only one I actually own because it was great on, on Blu-ray. It was phenomenal. It was one of those show like movies. Like when you get a surround sound system, it was the first movie you put in? It should be The Matrix, and you go to the bullet time scene. That's how I always test my surround sound systems when I had one before I moved into an apartment. But but Transformers, as bad as they are, uh, the third one, I would put that in whenever I, you know, if I wanted to kind of fine tune my color settings on my TV, because with just the red and the blue and Optimus and the grays and the blacks, it's a good way to, uh, you know, kind of adjust your settings if you're trying to, like, adjust anything on a a color palette for your television. But anyway... uh, let me see. Anyway, high points for the animated film, still reading Ben's email, were the soundtrack and Starscream. Starscream was always one of my favorites. Uh, I couldn't follow who all the characters and factions were, and I really couldn't stand Grimlock. Uh, understandable, because you know, you I, I agree, you can only take so much. Me, Grimlock, me, Smash. <laughs> but yeah, my wife really loved it, and she's already gotten hit on by one of her coworkers. Oh, is that Grimlock on your desk? And I said, I hope you told that fucker to move along, because your husband <laughs> will kill you. Just kidding. Uh, not about the killing part, not about like telling him to move along. But uh, anyway, Oh, now, I, if you remember last week, I, in Benzino, he mentioned uh, he had his cousin had the Freddy Krueger poster that would, like, and would torment him with it, and I'd ask him to let me know, like, how that played out, like, what happened? So here's the story. Uh, he said his aunt would chase... Uh, oh, sorry, let me read it again. My aunt would chase my... Cu- would make my cousin take the Freddy Krueger poster down whenever I visited, but he would chase me around with it to scare me. I'd ended up watching the Nightmare on Elm Street films until 2002 when I was 16 or 17. Uh... I'm, well, Ben, did you watch them all? I'm just curious. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any, uh, which ones you've seen or not, but, uh, you know, glad you, you know, you, you, hopefully you've you fully conquered that fear to where if somebody was to put a Freddy Krueger poster outside your window, it wouldn't, you know, cause any childhood fears to rear up and, you know, any fetal positioning, crying or anything. Uh, that's all for now. I haven't seen any of your Halloween picks, so I'll try to watch them and check in with you guys. Well, except for Chucky because I have a phobia of dolls. Well, that's a story for a future email. Looking forward to it. Uh, hearing that, my friend, uh, P.S. I agree with dead president John Adams that Trey's wife sounds hot. Uh, I told her that today after we were working out and she's like, and I had, to, I had to assure her that just because you think your voice doesn't sound good, and I think, I think everybody yeah. has this, like when, when you hear your voice, I'm over it now because done 150 plus episodes of a podcast, so yeah. I, I, I'm used to how my voice sounds now. It's a good way to get rid of that phobia. Definitely, it only takes 150 episodes of a podcast, guys. Good, four just years, do of, it. three years of three, three, four years of work. You know, then you won't you won't care how your voice. You'll, you'll be used to how your voice sounds, right? But uh, yeah, anyway, she's like, "Oh, my voice sounds so bad." I'm like, "Babe, I've had two straight... Well, one person I've never talked to except in one email, and then <laughs> my uh, Tasmanian brother uh, mentioned that your voice is actually sounds hot, so." A bunch of people haven't spoke up yet. Yeah. Uh, uh, your opinion of your voice is invalid. Two strangers to you have complimented that your voice sounds hot. So That's half of our listeners. Yeah. You know, two out of four. <laughs> that's 50% ratio. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I just saw you scroll past. And I saw the ad for this the other day when I was working at... Uh, oh, this? I run a, you know, we, do, we work out three days a week at our apartment because that's a little gym. And they have TVs in there. So that's usually the only time I actually watch real television right, with right. commercials and all that and i saw the little promo for the lethal weapon television show uh, it's it's bad <laughs> <laughs> it i was just just watching the promo like this is is it lethal weapon simply because they got a black guy and a white guy yes because that's all it looked like In and sounded name. like like damon wayans okay i can i can see that him like being that character but it's not there's nothing like i'm too old for this there's not there's nothing that no. makes that like that team that uh, I mean look they got gloves on like they're gonna investigate something that's not Lethal Weapon nope they that just is, jump right in yeah it's gotta be like there he is there he is I got him Riggs damn it slow down <laughs> you know, that, that's the that, and that's the dynamic that made that show that movie series work for four movies and they're still talking about possibly getting a fifth one off the ground uh, but you can't uh, just throw it on television with the name because they're doing it with The Exorcist, too. Like I, don't, I haven't seen anything about that, but they're making an Exorcist TV series as well. Mm. So it's just like, why, like okay, if you're going to do... You can, you can make a Lethal Weapon TV show, but it has to have that dynamic. That's the key to that. That's what makes it so good. Made it so good, I should say, was that dynamic uh, between uh, Gibson and Glover. Mark, the, the Riggs character and the Murtaugh character. That's the dynamic that makes that work. And then this, this show looks nothing like that. So I'm hoping it fails. Oh, oh! By the way, just to date this podcast again, it premieres tonight. Hopefully, to Uh, abysmal reviews and uh, such. I shouldn't be be hating on. I shouldn't be hating on it because I actually haven't seen it, and I've preached about like how you should you should check things out. But I mean, based on the trailer, I I have other things to watch right now. Uh, But anyway, uh, Ben, thanks as always for the letter. Always good to hear from you and talk to you on Facebook and. as you email and I talk to you on here uh, and also if you want you know, Ben has his own podcast everybody the Asia Mania podcast which uh, haven't got through the latest episode uh, but it's up now ready to go I shared it today I think it actually might have it either came out for us over here in Louisiana you know our time zone or whatever either late yesterday or today I'm not sure exactly but it is up they're back after Ben uh, did all those pod, like 24 23 podcasts mm. in one month crazy man good hey good job good content uh good way to try to catch up to our, our, our uh you know 150 160 episodes good try bro you getting close <laughs> no just just some playful ribbing there but uh, check him out as well uh and uh ben thanks for the uh, uh i did get to the i haven't finished the latest episode but i did get to the part where you talked about you know the pursuit of red x thank you appreciate it uh i know jesse's i personally haven't gotten to watch the lesser two evils i did watch the trailer uh but jesse watched it and uh Jesse, you want to give a quick review on that to, you know, equal time? Fantastic. Okay, good job. Good job, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, check Ben out with his podcast and their website and on Facebook, uh, Asia Mania Pods. He, and uh, he also guests on a lot of other ones as well. A lot of good content comes out of there. Uh, and always good to hear from him on the podcast. And as always, our good friends at Now versus Nostalgia, much closer than Tasmania, right down the road in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, from us, John and James, uh, which uh, I don't think I mentioned last time we were talking on our first episode from the flood, but uh, uh, how John, like you, you and you, Jesse and John uh, were pretty much trapped on the same stretch of highway, or not trapped, but hoping to get through before the flood closed off the same little stretch of highway, which is yeah. a little bit of serendipity. Uh, but uh, check out all their episodes as well. Always a fun time uh, to hear from those guys as well. But we'll be back in just a few short days, or a week. But, uh, to, cut, to begin the officially kickoff off the Halloween horror month with, as uh, Ben was talking about, Child's Play. So, Ben, I'm sorry you're not gonna watch that movie, but you can at least listen to the podcast and tell me why you don't like dolls. Cause it's like, it's a, that's like a big one too. Like, you have clowns, and then mm-hmm. it's the, like, dolls is like probably maybe the second one in terms of like general phobias people have. I've seen some creepy dolls, but I've never seen a movie about dolls that creep me out. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a fun one to watch with the kids. I want to if I'm lucky enough to have a child that's born in October uh, I don't want say that just because you know that way for his birthday I can give him Halloween themed stuff before I let him watch child's play ever I'm going to give him a good guy doll so then when he watches that movie I, after a few years of having it he'll want to get rid <laughs> or I can use that as the elf on the shelf hey. you know <laughs> Chucky on the shelf he won't be don't, too scared don't let me bring Chucky to the local Satanist and have them install their soul in it to, to make sure you stay in line I'm gonna be a horrible but awesome father, but I'm gonna have to temper like my desires to like you know when I give my child a Chucky doll to like after he watches the movie and he's coming home from school to be laying on the ground with the Chucky doll like he strangled me and all that kind of fun stuff, which is fun to me, but it might actually cause significant childhood trauma to my child. So um, I'm gonna have to temper like my desire to be a cool dad with you know where where that line is, that fine line from doing something funny and doing something that's totally (laughs) traumatic to hmm. a child which I don't have kids yet uh, so yeah I want to temper that greatly but we'll be back next week with Child's Play so until then everybody enjoy this prequel as we're getting into the most wonderful time of the year my personal favorite time Halloween Horror Month officially kicks off next week so we'll see you then until then I remain Trey Harris Jesse Sedgley Cowabunga on facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on twitter at awesome pods